You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another BritFleece.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Jason Impey. Welcome to the show. Hiya, how are you doing? Good. I'm doing very well, I'm doing very well. We've come together because I was able to watch uh, Jason's wonderful documentary, Vipco, The Untold Story, which we'll talk about in more in more detail in a moment. And using the five great format, we're going to do five great Vipco releases to expand on the point. But I think it's worth mentioning, and... The reason I'm talking to you is I interviewed uh, Mr. MJ Simpson for Five Great British Horror Films, and he was singing your praises. Yeah, he's been very supportive. Of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, and I'll be honest, I was I was embarrassed to say I didn't know I didn't know who you were. So I said, I said, well, I, well, given what you've told me, and then what I found out, I thought, well, I've got to get the guy on because it's safe to say you're 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 a, you're a fairly prolific filmmaker to say the least. Yeah, I was. I definitely was in my younger days. I'm still going, but yeah, in my younger days, I, I churned out a lot of feature films in quite a short space of time and got them released worldwide. So I ended up kind of getting a bit of a reputation for horror genre, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. I was it made it made me wonder if there's a camera welded to your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do do a lot of my own um, filming and editing as well, so I'm quite a hands-on filmmaker. I, I'm an all-round filmmaker and do a lot of the process myself, um, which. I do like to do because I come from quite a technical background. So technical-wise, filming and editing is where I really shine. I really like doing that side of things. So, and I also film other people's films as well. So okay, okay. Oh, you, you're 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 the cameraman on there. The camera operator on their films. Yeah, I'm a DOP and cinematographer and others, and sometimes editor, but mainly the, the cinematographer. So I, I kind of make a trade out of doing cinematography. So naturally, I I do it on a lot of my own stuff as well. How, out of interest, how much of when when you're cinematographer, how much of that is hands-on camera work, and how much of that is organising people to shoot work? 
95% of the time do it. Uh, I did work on a fairly big budget film once at where I was a DOP and they had a camera team, but I still wanted to operate. <laughs> I can't, I, I, I just, I'm so used to operating and I, and I, 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 I know what I want. And um, although they were helping and I had the ACs and they were doing all my lenses and batteries, I still wanted to do the shot. <laughs> so I, was a, I wouldn't say it's a control freak. It's just that I'm, I'm fast and I know what to do. And even though I've done some all right budget stuff, that the, the speed you have to work and the pressure and the hours you're under, it's sometimes easier for me to grab the camera and shoot, I find. When it's low budget and it's um, it's smaller crew, you, you know, I, I kind of, I'd worked with the directors a lot. I knew what they wanted. Um, we'd built up a, a kind of uh, working relationship. So yeah, it was very, you know, they, they want to be fast. <laughs> I, 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 as I've got older, I have slowed down. I like taking my time and getting really nice shots, but you always run out of time. And I've noticed that I'm, I'm just editing a feature film that I've co-directed, but I was a cinematographer and editor. And, uh, just editing a scene last night. It was the first scene of the film of like a week shoot. And uh, I'd done so many shots, took so much time for this like one minute scene. And then you can see the rest of the shoots just like less takes, less takes, less footage, less options, where we were just trying to plow through it. I always, you start out, I, every I, every time I get on a project, I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. I'm really going to go for it. And then halfway through, you're like, well, we've got to get done. We've got to get out of it here. Like, money's gone. Like, time's gone. Uh, deadlines are approaching. It's a shame, really. That does stress me out. I actually like one shot. And I love setting up a shot where you can get everything. But then part of your panics, is it is it enough? You, you know, is the shot good enough that you can hold it for a minute? So then I always cover myself with your, your basic rubbish student ones. And, I, and I've noticed I do, I always get my safeties, but really, I, if I can leave a shot for one to two minutes moving or a really interesting shot, I like to do that. And I've definitely done it in this film. I've just done, as we've gone on, there is some big like one takes. And although I did a few other shots, I was just in the editing last night, I'm throwing them out going, I, I had it. I had it in that one shot, really. I should have just left it. Could have just carried on, but... You know, you're always learning. I think <laughs> for for the for the listener who doesn't know who you are, do you want do you want to throw out a couple of examples of of what have been your kind of well received or have hit the spot or have caused a bit of you know ruffled a few feathers? Anything anything that springs to mind in your in your in your catalogue as well? Yeah, um, I I directed a film called Tortured that was also released as Psychopaths. Uh, that caused um that's been quite a big success for me and caused quite a few uh, controversial things. Um, Tortured was the original edit. It came out a few years later, although in distribution terms it didn't. But Psychopaths was a re-edited version with new footage added because uh, I struggled with the audience with that one with what kind of film it was. So I evened it out. But um, Tortured or Psychopaths, whichever title you know it as, that was one of my big hits back in i shot it in 2008 but it didn't actually really come out till 2011 um and uh, i also did um a film called the turning which <laughs> this is typical distribution um i called it the turning but it was released as zombie lover so again it depends what title you know it as and uh, but one of my recent successes has been uh, the feature length documentary vipco the untold story all about the beloved uh, uk video nasty distributor which um, was a, a different thing for me because it is a documentary. And I, I do come from feature and short film, like the actual film background, whereas doing a documentary was a whole different ball game. But um, that's became quite a known thing for me as well. So I've got quite, I've got as known for that as I have my actual feature films themselves. Why, why Vipco, The Untold Story? What, what, what for you was important about Vipco that was worth making a feature-length documentary about? Back in 2004, I made a zombie film uh, called Zombie Village. 
And um, it was pretty trashy, crap film. But in 2005, when I finished editing it, uh, I did want to do something with it. And at the time, Vipco was uh, very much still releasing DVDs and quite big. You'd see them in HMV and everywhere. And it was it was the the video nasty label of the UK, really. And I and they I'd noticed they'd done the odd independent film, not a lot, but there was this film called The Claw and Suicide, which were very indie rough films and, and which was kind of what I was sitting on. So I got in touch with uh, Vipco and Michael Lee himself reached out to me saying that he wanted to meet and talk to me regarding a film and release. Um, not particularly that one, but he wanted to, um, he, that, that, that film was a gateway into meeting him, which turned out he wanted me to make a new zombie film that he would release. He basically gave me the option, if it was a crap film, he'd release it on the, <laughs> the black case with gold writing rubbish release cheap, cheap budget release or if it was decent he'd give it a bit of an artwork case and try and push it more but either way he wanted to release it um so he, but he didn't want to spend a lot of money on it it was a very like so i i um i came up with a zombie idea and he loved it and um i did start to film it well i started to go into production and that's when it all went wrong for bipco and bipco shut its doors and the um the film ended up becoming a short really uh i was sitting there one day on a shoot, on a break, uh, contemplating all these films I've done and the Vipco thing. And I actually, I'm on a lot of uh, social network forums about Vipco and appreciation. And I noticed a lot of people didn't know a lot about Vipco. It was quite a mysterious label. And Mike Lee was quite a mysterious person. And that there was a lot of speculation about titles, changes and cuts and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I, I did know Michael Lee and had a lot of conversations at lunches with him and knew some stuff. And I nearly got absurd released in the UK as well back in the day. Uh, that was just down to finances again. I was thinking, oh, it'd be good to kind of shine a bit more light on all of this stuff that uh, I wonder if I can get in touch with him again, at least, you know, rather than being a film this time, I actually put put his story on camera as a documentary. Um, I did manage to track him down, um, amazingly. And uh, he actually, because I, I know he's quite shy, he doesn't really, he never used to do a lot of publicity regarding being on camera or mic or anything like that. But he actually... Um, he actually agreed to do it. So I managed to get his interview. Which that's, it just started out with getting his interview on camera. So then I was excited to have that. I'm thinking this, you know, I, I love Vipco. I grew up as a fanboy. I also nearly had an opportunity. So there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to pursue this. And I thought having his story on camera was great. I did speak to some distributors and it was at one point discussed as just being an extra feature on some Blu-rays coming out that, that was relevant, like re-release video films that were originally by Vipco. And I was excited by that, but it did feel like a bit of a uh, not a great, not that it was going to be developed into a feature by a distributor, but it was taking so long. There was a lot of legal things because, to be fair, I mean, that, that basically because I found Michael Lee again, and it became a bit known that I'd got his story. Um, the whole talks of Spookies come into question because he owned Spookies and no one knew where Michael Lee was and no one could release Spookies because of that. So it, I became hot stuff for people to talk to because they wanted Spookies and I was like the, the, the gateway to getting Mike to sign a deal for Spookies, which is what happened. I did I, I did get Mike uh, and the distributor all hooked up with me and we all got Spookies released. That's where that big vinegar syndrome release come from. But there was a bit of a, a fight over distributors wanting Spookies and um, and my documentary. And uh, But in the end, I went and did my documentary myself because, um, like you, we were saying earlier, it, it, it takes so long to get support for making a film. There's so many hurdles. I ended up... Um, I, I this, this guy called Mark McKenna reached out to me. He's a film academic up north and... Um, he had done a, a big essay and project on Vipco in his, his younger days of, of, of his academic studies. 
And through that, I built up quite the, the contact list of people like Barry Gold, who was the wholesalist, and uh, Graham Humphreys, who was the art designer. So he managed to um, come on board with me and help set up some of these interviews to get a lot of different people that were involved with, with Vipco back in the day. So I could actually go on the road myself and start recording these people and uh, building up what became a, a kind of passion project, which led into a serious documentary, which ended up getting Spookies released and coming out as a package. So it was quite a journey and it was a few years in the making as well. The mystery element and the sort of un, 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 unknown nature of, of Vipco was, I think it's, I think it's because it's a late, it's a, it's a, to me, me looking at it from the outside in, watching your documentary and thinking about how I perceived Vipco. You're right, there was no public face to it. And to add to that, you had these opaque, literally opaque black cases with with lurid titles of films that you knew were once illicit materials and then suddenly these chopped and edited and, and made for UK BBFC rules releases that, you know, you kind of... I remember buying stuff in the, in the early 90s, I think, um, VHS stuff, and it had been... You were kind of hoping against hope that you might well be getting something that the cover promised, but obviously rarely rarely did you get what you thought you were getting, but that didn't stop you buying them, that's for certain. Um, and then and then later on when the DVD sort of came along, where I sort of got my second win with it, and it's still still that 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 image of the of the of the the black and gold writing, as you mentioned it, which was like this this promise of something, but actually it was like it was it, it was like something or nothing at the same time. But but you but for those that knew, it, it was meaningful. But because it was kind of pre-internet, there was no personality attached to it. It just was what I mean, I'm talking about my perception here. I'm sure other people had a different experience. Cause I think I'd I at the you know, parallel with this, I'd have been reading, you know, things like Head Press at the same time. So Head Press would have been talking about, you know. Jörg Borgright or something with Necromantic and things, you know, another film that's kind of, I guess, once removed from the video nasty thingy, but it was still one of those kind of illicit films that you weren't meant to watch or you weren't allowed to watch a full uncut version unless it was in a cinema or cinema club or something. Um, but then Vipco were given us access to film titles that, geez, now if you're if you're a if you're a like a a, a trash or exploitation film fan now, it's it's so easy. Yeah, I was having this conversation the other day, actually, with uh, my partner about... I, I, there was something fun about the old days of trying to discover these films or trying to get hold of them and trying to see a, an uncut version and, and uh, it being a, being the hunt and, and, and seeking them out through, like, market stalls, collectors, fairs. But now, yeah, you just click on the internet, you can stream it. <laughs> it's, like, instantly. While it is obviously about making money, distributing films and, and the like, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that it's some some benevolent career option that was taken but there was there was a there was a good fight being fought as well at the same time yeah definitely definitely i mean i find the whole censorship journey and fight and history very interesting actually and 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 um i think people forget how outrageous it was i said i think people forget reservoir dogs was caught up in a scandal at one point now because you said it's so because of tarantino and, and the films I, I think it's forgotten that that when that first shot on the scene i do remember that the hype and the, the talk about being banned that it got pulled quickly from video until it came out um it's the same with all these films. And, and, and I think you'll forget, we, these films, some of these films are still banned uncut. Like Cannibal Holocaust is still banned fully uncut in this country. Um, so is Cannibal Ferox and House on the Edge of the Park, I Spit on Your Grave, even the big new release is still still cut to this day. Um, and I did speak to, um, I, I had had a chat with the BBFC while making the documentary and had this dinner and they were striving for things to get better. And ironically, 
this would have only been a year and a half ago, say that they were talking about I spit on your grave, they was aiming within a few years to have that uncut and get to an acceptable level. But yet again, a box that's just come out and it's still, although it, the cuts are getting less and less and less, it is still cut. So we're still a very censored country compared to others where, you know, most countries have a release of I spit on your grave uncut. We still don't. Um, and I think some people don't get that still. Censorship's a hard one. I mean, no one is forced to watch anything. So, you know, they are taking away that freedom to make a choice to view that yourself. It is it is a film. Some of these are just horror films as well. They're, there's nothing. They are just silly. In fact, they're so old and dated, yet they still make such an impact, obviously, that they that people feel like they can't be seen. Um, uh, some of the statements over the years I've discovered are, are very strange, like the BBFC talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, not being suitable for the working class male because it might drive them over the edge. I mean, that that itself is quite an offensive statement, I think. Well, look, uh, we should probably say, how can people get to watch Vip Cole, The Untold Story? So at the moment, um, the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray of Spookies has it uh, on there. It's also on Vimeo Worldwide and it's also in the UK on Amazon Amazon Video uh, to rent and buy on those three platforms. I'm actually working on an extended version with unseen material that hopefully is going to come out will probably be later next year now with all what's going on. But there's a, a new edit on the way because I, I took in a good 11 to 15 hours of footage with interviews and I, I only had a slot on that disc so I had to do an edit which I could get out on a time frame. But there is a lot of fun stories that I feel like I want to add in and rejig the edit around to, so you can get even more fun if people that are into it find some of these fun antidotes that were put to camera about some of the adventures that went on right then sir I'll put links in the show notes so people can get easy access or buy the blu-rays that um, that have got your documentary on it but what we're going to do is we're going to take um, we're going to use my five great films format to do five great Vipco releases Jason selected Five for me to go through. We're going to do them in reverse date order in terms of their year of release as a film, not not the Vipco one. So apologies if it, if it throws your order in that sense. But I just like I like to do. But what's interesting is that 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 four of the films span seventy nine to eighty one, which is which is in its own way what we've just been talking about sort of skewers the whole video nasty thing in a nutshell. That there's like this period of time where films arrived on these shores which had never been seen. And the world lost its mind, and then there's the there's the uh, the sort of outlier which we'll get to when we get to which came out in two thousand and one, which you've already mentioned, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna remind people of the rules, although Jason already knows. We're gonna be doing the five minutes per film chat. Jason, don't worry, this isn't me expecting you to monologue for five minutes. You can tell me stuff, and I'll respond, and we'll have <laughs> a chat. That's how we're gonna do it. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but uh, for those that aren't familiar and then come into this because they're fans of Jason, the format is when the five minutes are up, we will uh, hear the the sound of a dog barking. I'm calling it pig because recently I had on the SFX guru, Dan Martin, and he did five great uh, special effects in movies. And he has a French bulldog and I've now called pig. So I've now, the dog barking is now called pig. So we're imagining that it's his French bulldog having a bit of a go while we're chatting away. Does that sound okay to you, Jason? Yeah, it's all good to me. Right then, first five minutes are up, are on the go. So the poster of the poster for Video Nasties is Driller Killer. How come you're not up front with everybody else? The music's too loud. What do you mean the music's too loud? You like your music loud. You play all your records loud. 
we used to like bonds too. Don't you remember how we met? We used to sit in the corner and we used to get really drunk. We used to walk home laughing and singing. Right now. Look at me. Yeah, you know, baby. What's happening to you? Preset VHS to Drillica was massively important because um, the ads, I mean, the, the video cover of the, of the tramp with a drill in his head, that that really was what caused outrage and brought attention to video nasties. And um, it, it was responsible, really, for the, the conquest of banning films. Um, but that film, I do feel, is um, mis misunderstood because I've got a podcast myself with Vipco I do with James Sim uh, Simpson, who does the um, Vipco book. And we, we dis I discuss this. I love Driller Killer. I, I watched it quite young. And um, you, obviously, with that cover, you're expecting this really gory horror film. And, and it is a gory horror film to an extent, but it's an art house film. And it's a very deep film. It's not just the, a cash-in trash film. It, it looks at society and what's wrong with society and how it drives someone to the edge. And... I think if you give that film a chance, it's got a lot to say for itself, but it's overshadowed because of all what happened with the Nasties. Everyone just thinks it's a glorified, disgusting gore fest, which, you know, that that's it's quite far from the truth. I was going to say that, I mean, the title alone is enough to, to send, you know, net curtains twitching all over the country in suburbia, isn't it? You know, the idea that there's a film called Driller Killer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, 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 get, I get the marketing point of view. I understand that Mike Lee wanted to shift a lot, and he did. The, the film become infamous. I think it was a strong film anyway, but, it, but, but with that video cover and, and the release and what happened, it made the film even more unforgettable, and it's going to be there forever now. And I mean, it, it obviously launched Abel Ferreira's career. And I mean, it, I think in some ways it's good what happened to it because it made the film what it is today. It's still very, you know, it's still a, a very recognisable film, and it's, it's just, and an audience is discovering it all the time thankfully probably to that era but um it's just it's it's just i i get that the marketing campaign was to sell and to, to, to sell at the time they wanted people to go oh we want to watch some trash gore film and what and, and, I, and i've got to be honest i can't believe the balls mike had to put that case and that advert out there because look at, even to this day looking at it that is quite an outrageous cover you don't normally see uh artwork for films that graphic on the shelves um because even even like your average your average jazz mag, which is obviously trying to sell sex, is more restrained than that than that video cover. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's quite. I mean, because when it got re-released, they obviously tamed it right down to a black case with just a drill on. And um, you know, I think some people. I'm not I'm not surprised that the trouble it caused. I I, I Mike knew it was going to cause a bit of a a riff. Obviously, not to the extent that it did. But um, I mean, that film is so so strong in, in history because for, for censorship I, I spoke to Kate Egan who was a academic on a documentary and she says that it was not just censorship against films they they looked at marketing films and what's acceptable to put in adverts on in papers magazines and on cases itself because that you know it was a lawless time people didn't really think to regulate this stuff and you know someone comes along and just sticks a very gory image that anyone is going to see you know so any child might be flicking for a paper or mag or see a post or, or a video on the side and that is actually really you know that image alone is what the bbfc would deem as an 18 in film so outside of that it's being seen by everyone so i do think there was a you know there, there was a little hole in the market and a, and, a, and a loophole that people use but that that film caused uh, massive issues for censorship for i mean i mean it's it's one of it's one of two in this list that you've given me where 
where the we'll get onto that later uh, when we get to it. But it where the mark the the, ball, the balls of the marketing campaign actually came back to bite them hard, and um, the second one we'll talk about is the one is the one that really cemented the move towards the video recording act as was as the, the you know for anybody thinking like we said earlier that that we've got cancer culture now wait wait until you go and read up what the 1984 video recording act was when it literally banned films but but the great thing is like you say this launched Abel Ferreira's career as a filmmaker and and it's interesting for me thinking of that time I was talking about Rose of our dogs you had Abel Ferreira's bad lieutenant almost like as the sequel to Driller Killer in terms of video nasty Ferrara because just like Reservoir Dogs, the minister at the time was saying this will never be available as home entertainment. So they kind of licked their wounds and learnt their lesson of what Driller Killer exposed in terms of what's possible in terms of releasing a film. And then they went, right, you're not having this. This is this is just out. I mean, it's a it's a deplor it's a deplorable story, but it's an amazing character study of a man gone wrong. Much like I think that Driller Killer, if you take away the title, is an amazing portrait of New York City post, you know, post the meltdown that happened. Oh, there we go. There's Pig barking at us. I'll just finish my sentence. You know, New York post post the, the meltdown of um, New York City going bankrupt. You know, punk, punk rock and art and all that kind of stuff was flourishing like mad, but the city was a bloody cesspit. And, you know, you think of 42nd Street and... That's you know if you watch a film like I don't know like The Exterminator you get to see like a more lurid version of what was going on, but I think it I think Jill Killer is a is a comment on the time more than it ever is an exploitative gore film. But like you say, the marketing campaign made you just think it was a man walking around drilling people's heads. <laughs> and 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 let's be honest, as a thirteen year old, there's nothing more disappointing in that first watch discover it's not right. Then number two in your selection of five great Vipco films is the, and this depends on which side of the fence you're on, the absurdly graphic or legendary gore scenes, which is zombie flesh eaters, or as, the, or as I began to learn later in life, zombie two, the dead are among us. So for, for me personally, I was a, a member of Britannia Video Club uh, and uh, used to collect. So in the mid nineties, uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters slipped back in, like it came. It was allowed back out, but cut. Um, and I saw the great cover, and it, but it, they were crafty again with the market, and they said they they kind of implied it was an uncut version. What it was is it was the uncut cinema version, not the actual full uncut version. So it's a clever plan word. So obviously, yeah. The, with zombie fleshy is you know the the bit missing was the infamous eye splinter going through the eye being removed out and a little bit of gut munching so but it was um it was the first time that i was able to legally get this video of zombie fleshy as uh, into my house and and watch it in a, in what was an all right decent copy then um and I, it's my favorite zombie film i just it ticks everything a zombie film needs it was great it's uh Lucio Flucci's gore fest driven film it's got it's got really fun well the effects are amazing um i, I like trash fun film and, and the gore effects and that to this day is still great you know there's, there's no cgi or any of this new filmmaking malarkey it's pure practical effects um it's got unbelievable stuff in it but for a low budget film um you know struggling to be done like as a shark underwater fight fighting a zombie is just insane you know it's, it's, it's scenes you don't see that sort of stuff every day and you know it's not like even a big blockbuster film so that that still amazes me how they shot that sequence um 
you know, for an old film, still holding its like, you know, think looking at a scene going, that's incredible. How did they do that? You know, there's without any, you know, big glossy budget special effects. They, you know, they they managed to pull stuff like that off, and um, that film lived up to its reputation, I think, as well. You know, it wasn't mismarketed. They tried to cash in on it, but it, it worked. It was a gore fest. It was what it was. Um, you know, and um, it was the film that launched Vipco as well uh, because. Vipco had done some dodgy pirating and, and done some soft porn stuff, but that, that they actually he officially got the the, the rights, the license, re, re retitled it from Zombie Two to Zombie Flesh Eaters, and um, it came out. Well, it was like market as Zombie Flesh Eaters, and and that that launched Vipco really. That that's what made Vipco the video nasty label. So again, a, an important film in in the history of all this stuff really. Again, just to just to highlight the point we made earlier that how easy it is today. You can just go on YouTube and watch the scene that nobody was allowed to watch on on film at your leisure. I mean, obviously it's breaking tons of copyright, but but it's it's just so freely available. Nobody seems to care. Whereas the idea that this this scene, this scene, never mind the film, would be seen was 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 a horror in itself. Um, but it is it is um, yeah it is it's sort of it's why I say that the 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 four films that that sort of cement this period of 79 to 81 is like the copybook on what what we know as video nasty i mean we keep we keep trying to reinvent the idea that there's a new phase of video nasties but there'll never be like like you said the, the excitement of zombie flesh eaters compared to now where jesus christ if i see another zombie film i don't think i need to kind of thing it's it you know the the the, the, the lack of invention in many i mean obviously that that there's always exceptions proving that rule but there's it's a cheap it's a cheap storyline, whereas I think in and, and, and look, Zombie Flesh Eater was a purely exploitative thing. The idea of it being Zombie Two was this pretense from Italian filmmakers this was a, an unofficial or official sequel to a Romero film or whatever else they were trying to cash in on. But it that Wild West nature of it gave, gives it that raw edge. And like you say, the the innovations and chances they took with what they show on in the film are what make it stand the test of time, I guess. Yeah, and, and I mean, with, with Zombie Flesh Eaters, the other thing that I like about that is it was the first time Mike used strong, uncut version on, on a marketing campaign because he did release in the preset days the, the uncut version as well as the cut version for £10 extra, which everyone wanted the uncut version. So, you know, it's a money. But it was the first time he had the uncut, strong uncut version, which become infamous on Vipco releases later in life when he wanted to try and market everything being strong cut. There's Graham Humphreys there. You can't have a weak uncut version. Well, that's a nice point. Nice point to end on with, uh, with, <laughs> with uh, pig barking as the background. Now, the the third film in um, in your your five great Vipco releases is is the film that um, that made me a horror fan. I think in a way, um, and the controversy as I, as I pointed out earlier in my story, it's it's the most controversial film of all time, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, Ca- Cannibal Holocaust is what what a film that is. Um, I mean, a- again, Vipco released that on DVD and video uh, in in the early noughties, like when it finally came back. And um, I, I brought an official DVD when it was first legally allowed back in the UK. Really excited. I had seen a dodgy uh, 
third gen dub, <laughs> Japanese subtitled version of it uncut. I knew what I was in for. And, and I was aware it was going to be a little bit censored in the UK, but I was quite shocked that the film appeared back on the shelf and Vipco put it out on DVD. I rushed and got it and went straight home and watched it again because I, I was blown away by it originally. And I went to see a better clean copy. It was cut by a few minutes. However, unlike a lot of films, I think even though Cannibal Holocaust was cut, it was still a really good film. It was still really strong. It still stayed with me. Even the cuts didn't take the tone and the, the message away from that film. Um, and that's one of the only versions I've seen of Vipco where it's been cut, where I can still say, I still loved it, though. I still thought it was a great disc to have. Um, you know, I know a lot of people, it's a bit of a controversial film that people love or hate or look at it and a bit nervy, but it's it's too clever for its own good. It, it mocks what it is. It makes, for an exploitation film, it has a lot to say for itself. It makes a massive, strong, very relevant, I mean, it's more relevant than ever still, that film, uh, the message it's condoning. And um, it, it's well made. And, and really, it's the first found footage film, which, you know, years later, a lot of people think Blair Witch or the odd film is, but Cannibal Holocaust was like, again, it was a style of filmmaking that, you know, it was the first of its kind to do that sort of style, which was adapted for budget filmmaking. Um, but I think whatever version you see that film in, it's still a good, strong film. doesn't matter how cut, it's, it's one of those films, it doesn't matter what you cut, you can't stop that film being what it is. But it, but it was it, single-handedly, because of its market campaign in the UK, became the lorry that drove Video Recording Act through in 1984. I mean, the, the whole day, the, the feeding Daily Mail or whoever stories of Cannibal Holocaust as a way of getting an anti-reaction came back and bit Video Nasties as a, you know, video distribution as a whole. But what I didn't know... Um, which is separate to what happened in the UK, is obviously Ruggiero Diodato had sworn the actors to you know keep out the papers and 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 not. So the whole film itself was surrounding and it's surrounding its own controversy to try and you know maintain the conceit and in the end go into court um, to prove that people hadn't really died. And, and yeah, they panicked, didn't they? Because one of the actors, because they had signed that the waiver saying they wouldn't appear in anything uh, for X amount of time, they couldn't actually get hold of and find to prove that they hadn't come to any harm. So you know, he was facing some serious charges for a film. It was it is mad, really, isn't it? Like, so that's like so that's even that, that's beyond the you know the shores of Britain, which is like going oh don't show this this horrible nasty images. We don't want we want to protect our children. But actually, the whole film had its own chapter going on of controversy, which was to do with the conceit of the horror film, you know, and it's and like you say, it's a pioneering film. And a bit like um a bit like Driller Killer, it's it's a film that that is elevated above its video nasty status because it is a brilliant piece of cinema, um, in in its own right. I mean con the controversy now is less about the sadistic um special effects statistic torture meted out with special effects and more the the real controversy is that real animals are killed. I mean that's just that Diodato himself doesn't want it in the film. So that's not about the world and his wife getting horrified. It's about the world catching up with something that's just not on. I mean, in the context of the film, it, it, like you say, it's almost like the meta side of it is eating itself literally when you're killing animals for real in a film, commenting on exploitation of the third world and blah, 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 blah. The animal killing is a hard one because I'm, I'm a massive animal lover. I'm an exotic pet keeper. I've got tons of pets and... I, I do find that hard. I understand that 
again, I look at things. It was made in it came out in seventy nine, shot seventy eight. It was a product of its time. Um, it was not even in the UK. You know, the world is different back then. It was also different in different cultures. Um, I personally wouldn't go and slaughter animals for a film. And um, and I know, I, I know there's been excuses made about the 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 you know them being used for food afterwards, and they try to justify it, but. I get you can get the animal free version as well now, can't you? You can watch the animal story free, which you know is probably good for people that don't want to see it. But you know, all of these cannibal films had animal cruelty, and like literally all of them, it was like almost a tip list. You had to, it's like something that was included. So I got to the point where I know if I'm going to watch one of these Italian cannibal films, I know there's going to be some bad animal cruelty in it. It was, um, but you know, it was we we lived different times, but. Other films have done it, like they killed a scorpion in Predator and they like killed the bull in the Apocalypse Now. Like big films have done naughty things they shouldn't have and they kind of, they don't seem to get the attention. Oh no, no, for sure, for sure. But I think, I think it's, I think what's, what's interesting about Cannibal Holocaust, it's, it's as much the filmmaker saying he, he wish he hadn't done it rather than the world pointing the finger at the a filmmaker, you know, standing his ground because it's a film of its time. I mean, we used to throw horses down bloody cliffs and whatever, but now we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that in a West film in a Western anymore because we, we don't we, we don't think that's right and you know times do change. Now of your list, this is probably the one I'm least familiar with. Like I've only watched it once. Um, everything else I've kind of watched too many times for my own good. Um, in the video nasty ones, um, it's the uh, what was released under the Screen Time collection, which was while I knew it existed as a thing. I'd never really noted it as a differentiation in the brand. It wasn't until I watched your film that I kind of began to understand like how the the, the tears of of what Vipco were doing. For me, it was always just there's that film I'm not meant to watch. It's now available. It's, I can now get it. Um, or there's that film that's hard to get. I can now get it. But the idea that there was levels to this. So, do you want to talk about the Beyond DVD? Yeah, so um, I, I I love I love Flucci and um, you know I, and the Beyond I thought was a very arty zombie film. It was like my second favorite zombie film. That one. Um, the good thing about that for once is when Vipco released the DVD of the Beyonds, the Beyond, so that became, that came back out in the UK. That was actually uncut for for once. It was a full uncut version. Uh, none of this uh, chopping stuff. Um, but, you know, it was Italian zombie, so there wasn't so much, you know, there wasn't the animal side of it. It was more just the gore. Um, but I I thought it was a really strong, unique film. Um, it's got an amazing soundtrack. It's shot quite well. And um, it's very different than your standard, you know, The Dead are Rising and Wandering Around. Like it, it, it was very differently presented and it had a lot of an art. It had a big artistic merit to it, that one. Um, and... The, well, the Beyond, uh, what, what happened when Vipco released DVDs, it did start releasing decent artwork discs and the Beyond was one of them. It come out with the full sleeve artwork, which looked quite good, such as Cannibal Holocaust. But then years later, we re-released them to try and make a quick bucket. became the black case of gold writing, the Beyond and the, the Screen Time collection. But I happened to have the, the, the earlier like full release. And so it was nice to actually have a, a full sleeve with an uncut version. And at the time, that was the only version in the UK. I know people moan about the transfers, but when Bitco was coming out, there was no such thing as 4K and 2K restorations anyway. Um, I know I know Anchor Bay and uh, Blue Underground come out and started doing a bit of digital transferring. But th at the time, they said these were cheap, crap films no one really cared about. 
Um, he had a master tape. The fact that they managed to get a, a, a watchable, decent version onto a disc with all right artwork was nothing short of a miracle, considering that I was being told I weren't allowed to watch this the year previous, and it was illegal for me to have here. So, so, um, and uh, so it was. It was really nice to finally have that that copy again. I had seen a dodgy uh, bootleg video of it, uh, uncut before I had got it. So as soon as it came out again, I, I rushed straight to get it. Um, they, these weren't cheap back in the day either. These were like 19.99 originally when they first come out. Um, now they went down to 5.99 on the screen time, but when it was first reissued, they, they, they were they were classed as niche market, special interest films really. Um, you see, you found the odd one in the horror section, never, never greatly stocked and never that cheap. But um, and never really full of extras. There's a reason for that in my documentary about extra features. Why? Why? Uh, you know, obviously, if you want to see the Beyond Now, Arrow released an amazing set, and now it's been re-released again by Shameless Entertainment. Of it, even uh, different extras side of it. So you know, as you said, you can go on to uh, you can watch that anywhere now for uncut and with ease. <laughs> but uh, and it's well known. But again, because of Vipco, I know a few people have come forward to me saying Vipco kind of reignited their interest in these films and introduced people to the, this this Italian zombie and cannibal genre that without Vipco in the UK probably would have been forgotten a bit. Um, they did the foundation work for you know, boutique labels like Arrow and Shameless to, to bring them out. They kept the interest alive and people you know these films still stuck around. I'm going to say that's a lingering thing about, about, your, about your documentary is that it's it, being the ground baker is is not is not necessarily full of its rewards because there was this tireless pursuit of getting these films out and getting them and certainly the naughty side of it get but 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 like you say there wasn't the just getting the film out was the only be all and end all whereas what you've got now is all the lessons learned of that up and down of that market with the arrow and the vinegar syndrome and the shameless is that you've got to get a you know, if you don't get in someone to write an essay about the thing for the booklet, if you don't get so, if you don't get at least five interviews or a commentary track, then what are you releasing it for? Because just releasing the movie, because they are so easy to get a shit version somewhere, then you've got to make sure your release is is worth owning. Because, and and I find and and, and I think because at the time it was the height. I mean, we're talking the height of DVD sales, aren't we? The early noughties. So. You, you you had a lot of um, I mean, and I I bought a few. Um, I remember Zombie Holocaust and the disappointment of getting that home and watching when I watched it. Um, but then, but then weirdly, weird, this is a segue for into, into what I got from your documentary is that years later, when I was sort of clearing out my DVDs on Music Magpie, so is, that tells you the difference between when I bought it and when I got rid of it. Zombie Holocaust was the most expensive DVD I owned in terms of what Music Magpie wanted to pay for it. And I didn't understand why, but then I watched your documentary, and now I do. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's amazing what what can hold value, um, and then devalue instantly when a new distributor gets hold of it and does a an amazing job. Um, it's um, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a film collector. I'm in I'm into all that, and um, I said that I've got many copies of the Beyond, like tons of it, because of all the different wonderful reasons that around the world. Um, but yeah, at one point one of the copies is worth a fortune and then you think, oh, that's a holy grail and then it's kind of devalued because all of a sudden an ultimate edition will come out somewhere like a few months later. And does and out of interest though, do some of the do some of the editions get keep a value, not necessarily an extortionate one, but keep a value because of completists? Is there is there a marketplace that just exists for complete in a completist sense? 
Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, Zombie Flesh Eaters is a good example of that. Like we were saying earlier, Arrow's window box release of Zombie Flesh Eaters was limited to 500, and that goes for insane money and, and still does. That, that for many years now has held its value and is a real like holy grail to collectors. And okay. I can't imagine that change, to be honest. I think that will be uh, a, a Blu-ray that will always be quite sought after and hold its value. Right. Well, this this was. I mean, I, I must have had a blind spot at some point in the early noughties then, because your fifth choice wasn't a film I'd heard of. So, do you want to tell us about Suicide? I mean, you mentioned you mentioned it already, as it were, in the preamble we did. But why is this a great why is this a great Vipco release, and what is it about this film? Well, it, it, this is a controversial thing from me because um, it was actually Vipco, coming from Vipco itself, would have been their worst release and their worst seller, but there's reasons for that. Um, mm. So with the Vipco Screen Time collection, it pretty much all was video nasties, grindhouse, trash, zombie uh, and Italian um, exploitation films. But Suicide was really different in that Screen Time collection because it was actually a modern, digitally shot film. Uh, it was actually German with English subtitles, so... Forget the other films, let alone the fact that it was subtitles was unique to Vipco. Vipco didn't really have subtitled films apart from this. And uh, and the fact that it was modern, it was shot in the noughties, it was actually shot with digital cameras and it was, it was a modern indie flick, which was out of place in that collection. So um, I, when I first got it, because I was collecting Vipco, I was like, this is really different. It stood out to me just for that alone. There was one other film called The Claw, which was an indie digital film that came out on their premiere label. Uh, but Apart from those two, they, they 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 stood out because everything else was what we were talking about, like video nasties. Um, and there was a few. I mean, it, suicide's a, a tough one because because of the disaster of it, it kind of put Mike Lee off of actually doing independent films, which is where I came on as a filmmaker. Because it, but this was down to marketing. I, um, I spoke to Jay Slater who who helped pushed this film when he was with Vipco at the time and they released it originally um, you can tell it's a Vipco release but it didn't have Vipco on it, it had all the classic artwork and the disc layout but they tried to de-associate with Vipco and release it as its own film but it 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 really bombed at the time um, so he threw it on the screen time collection which I think brought more attention to it but also was again part of the downfall and I think the problem was as I said the world weren't ready for it Back back in the uh, early noughties, that, that this indie film that's going on now weren't really around then. You wasn't seeing all these indie films released on on labels like that and in HMV and and places like this. So it was a bit of a, a standout, and it was one of the first films where I watched it. And I, although I was making some crap productions myself, I did watch that thinking, you know what, that that's a film that I possibly could make. You know, it's not like a big blockbuster where you know you can't go out and make that yourself. But I was. I actually thought this is achievable. If I arm myself with my camera and find some actors, I could, I could kind of do something similar to this. And it did inspire me because I did make a similar film, I suppose. I did a film called Homemade 2, the footage, which was a bit of an August underground meets suicide uh, with. But I, I thought suicide, again, it was, um, it was a basic concept. It's a, um, a horrible, nasty little film, but again, really powerful and strong. I thought it was very well acted and it's a very depressing subject matter, suicide itself. But, you know, it, it deals with all these different suicidal events that are getting caught on camera by exploitation filmmakers that are posing not to be doing it for exploitative reasons. And so it spoke a lot to me. It was like talking to filmmakers, talking about the media and what, you know, getting that hit and, 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 and exploitation in the general. And again, 
I think because of it being a dark film and it being marketed trashily and it being indie and grungy, people don't actually they miss the point of it, that it is actually a very clever little piece of art, like mocking, almost like Cannibal Holocaust, mocking the media, mocking the world we live in, mocking exploitation. It is doing that, but just in a different way, in a, a more modern way. I tell you what's interesting about about the, about the, the concept of the film is... Um... It's a German. It's a German film. German film about suicide, about documenting suicide. And one of the first ones I ever saw about that was was York um, Borgreit's uh, *De Todeskins*, which is a which is a similar arty arty but yet distasteful portrayal of what suicide is or is not. And it's inter- I mean, I'd look. I mean, there's 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 no there's there's no correlation other than we're just talking about two different German films made at different times. But it's interesting that they both come from German filmmakers, just as a co- as a coincidence of of the subject matter. I've noticed that European filmmakers tend to, you know, they tackle taboo and controversial subjects more than, you know, United Kingdom like English filmmakers do. Um, you know, they they seem to be a bit more open minded. I I do feel like UK still censored a bit, and people still are a bit like um, anxious of dealing with taboo subjects. And um, you know, a lot of world. This is another thing though with censorship. I've noticed world cinema seems to get away with more because it's world cinema. And, you know, they look at it as art house and they seem to get away and push the envelope a bit more. But I think Suicide sounds worse than it is. It's got some bad stuff in it and it is taboo. But I, again, it's, it's, it's the, I, I think it, the actual subject matter and the, the tone of it is what's more upsetting and depressing than what you've seen on camera itself. But, that, but that's the whole point of film, isn't it? I mean, I think, I think if you're going to make an upsetting film, shocking, shocking the viewer is a very is a one-trick pony, but unsettling the viewer with what you're asking them to think about, which is like the duration of the film, is a much harder job to pull off, isn't it? It's, it's a film that stuck with me and haunted me, which is why it stands out there. I watched it when I was young collecting, and that's it's stayed with me ever since. I think that's the, the thing about any about this genre is that for, for many for many of us certainly is that you you go into it because you're immature and you just want you just want thrills and spills and buckets of blood, and then suddenly you're watching Driller Killer and you're like, hold on a minute, this this is a film, is it? I've never seen a film like this before. And and then you you, you don't realise it when you're watching Cannibal Holocaust that you're watching a pioneering piece of cinema. It's only years later that you begin to understand. And when you and certainly when if you if you're anyone that knew it when the well, like you mentioned yourself when the furore happened around Blair Witch, you're kind of like, what's the big what's the big idea? Like it's not it's not that new. Yeah, it's no it's no you know it's not it's not that it's, it's a it looks great great film and stuff, but it ain't new what they're doing. This was done ages ago, and and so. But as as in um, oh goodness, see no evil. The book which sort of documents all the DPP reviews every one of the films that got on the DPP list and and looks at the tabloid furore around it is there was only a handful of films that were of any worth as a piece of cinema that are still around to this day because of the video nasties. Most of them are a piece of shit and would have would have just came and gone had they not been given the attention of. My God, what's this? Let's ban it. I mean, you know, we all remember the when. It, well, we all remember, but there is lots of evidence of the kind of overreaction when you've when you've got police ba- unboxing best little whorehouse in Texas because they've literally just saw <laughs> a, they've literally just seen a title, and so yeah. we've we, we become we. It's like this existential threat of a, of a VHS. I mean, it's hard to imagine now with ease of access of the internet, but the 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 <clears throat> I think it was captured well in Jake West's. Uh, documentary about that whole Wild West thing that 
you know, you and I tomorrow in 1981 could have just opened up a video shop and had a, had shelves full of pre-certificated, you know, anything you wanted from a from a distributor. Nobody knew what we had. Nobody would, you know. And but but none of the films themselves. Just for anyone thinking, oh, is that, that's that's weird or horrible. None of the films broke any laws of the land. They just were graphic or they just were distasteful. That's and 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 that's a subjective thing. That's not a that's not an objective truth. Yeah, you, you had you had snuffed it. You did the rounds where when I spoke to Barry Gold, that the, the rumor went around going, "Oh, that there's a, there's a film with real murder, and we can't stop that." But obviously, it was fake. But the whole marketing on that—that that it was death on camera. I mean, is it snuff? Isn't it that uses the in South America the rules are bloody odd, or you know, I mean, <laughs> where life is cheap. Yeah, but the idea that you're going to use a, a whole continent and summarize a continent. You know, it makes you it makes you understand how disconnected the world was as much as anything else. You know, like like as if like as if um like as if Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Peru, Venezuela, Colombia are just are just are just a monolith of countries. The world has shrunk, and the idea of exploitation has changed. And I suppose you, you mentioned digital underground in in your um in, in in one of your comparisons before, and it's kind of like it's it's almost like exploitation cinema has gone as actually rather than go. Where it used to be like, what's the exotic thing we don't understand? It's gone. The exploitation and shocking cinema has gone narrower and narrower and narrower, to the point of which it's just literally just one human meeting out violence on another. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. Underground films are hard one now because it is everything's just you know digitally streaming. It's 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 much more accepted and worldwide so yeah you don't feel like you're in such a niche collecting market anymore the illicit nature of watching them and the and the and and look i'm a grown-up man now so why would i think anything's illicit to watch if it's legally available but but as a kid the excitement of it is gone i mean it's i guess it's a bit you know we see you see it across lots of media now you know i'm 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 of a certain vintage that you know i grew up with you know lots of tribes you know you were you were you were into metal you were a mod you were a goth you were this you were that and film watching was the same kind of thing in a way. You, the horror community was very much a, a landlocked place to be in. You know, <laughs> there was no, yeah. there was no there was no conventions as such that most people would see about in the normal media. There might have well been a church with a few stalls open, and a few boxes, and people were, were getting their hands on stuff that they didn't they didn't think they could get. But yeah, it's it's. Um, yeah, the internet has opened up a lot, but it's also it's taken a lot of the lot of the excitement and thrill out of it at the same time, and and probably exposed a lot of it for being the nonsense it is. Yes, yeah, yes, it's, it's amazing how times change in quite a short space of time as well, really. I mean, I, I love technology. I've got all the four K stuff, and I do get four Ks, but I, I, I'm aware of how niche it is. Even in HMV, the the four K section is a small little section in the corner. It is very niche, and I, I don't think. Personally, I don't think the 4K is ever going to massively take off because of in the big world because of the money and you said and the times are changing and what people want and, and the instant demand and being able to watch it on a device. So you know, again, the collectors will love it and lap it up, and I do myself. But that's that is I think they forget it is that's a very small collective of people. It doesn't speak for like the whole world out there, which don't you said don't really care that much for it. People don't want to buy a new TV and a new player just to play a disc. Vipco, the untold story is available, and we'll put links to that in the show notes so people can watch it. But what else have you got on the horizon? You can tell us about that that, that people should be keeping their eyes open for. 
so I am I'm re-editing uh, my film Tortured Stroke Psychopaths. I'm actually re-editing it. I'm doing my Blade Runner and Apocalypse Now on it. I over the years looking back and reviews and, and, and progressing as a filmmaker, I, I was really pleased with the film I made. It was quite a big venture for me, but I really I missed some tricks looking back. So what I've done is I've actually re uh, I've recaptured all the footage in better quality because the technology's changed. So I've almost remastered it myself. And I'm actually doing a recut, which you know as in Blade Runner and Pockets now, I think it's a better story tale of the same film. I think I actually can do the film better. So I'm I'm working on that big edit, which I'm hoping to release soon. Might even try and find distribution for that. Um which and then the Vipco's got an extended version on its way out. And there are although I make films, there's two documentaries features that I'm working on. One one's about uh Dominatrix and the uh, webcam girls that I shot, because I know some of those and about that industry and, and how they actually make a lot of money and, and the myths about that industry, like the myths of Vipco. And the other one that came from Vipco, what I'm looking at is possibly on redemption films with Nigel Wingrove, because I actually um, shot such a big interview with him and uh, and uh, spoke to him about everything that might even tell its own story about censorship and, and the, the rise of redemption. So it's a uh, feature documentary on its way, mainly from me and, and, a revamp of an old feature. Well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving me your time on the Britflix podcast. No, thanks for having me. It's been great. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.